Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. Bald brothers for life. <laughs> Let me tell you about my bald brother over here. <laughs> Yesterday, he and Nick, Henry Schellenberg, D and Rob, helped me load a 1954 Ford mainline onto the back of my truck to take with me to Idaho to restore. That truck had been parked since 1987. And so the back drums were frozen solid. And Nick had brought this hammer, and thank goodness he did, because we got to watch Henry, as Nick described it, go farmer on the back of that wheel. <laughs> he pounded that thing, and it finally came off. Now when we started, we took off the drums, and so the axles were still able to rotate. And we got it up halfway, and Nick was in the back, and the, and the toe we had fell off, and we just about killed Nick. <laughs> we sure gave him a nice bruise, my bald brothers. What do you say to a congregation that you're leaving, a congregation that you've come to love, a congregation that you watched all four of your children be baptized? I've been lucky enough, one positive thing for COVID is it has allowed me to go back to the seminary. And so I'm the youngest, I'm the oldest, I wish I was the youngest, freshman at Andrews University working on the MDiv program. And right now I'm taking a preaching class, and the preacher said, when you give a sermon, make it only about one idea. He said, oh, you'll be lucky if your congregation takes home one idea. If you do two, you're really pushing it. I'm going to do four, so I would fail. <laughs> four things I want to leave you with. Number one. Laugh. Proverbs 17.2 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a downcast spirit dries the bone. Hard situations come to our lives no matter what. It's how we look at them that makes the difference. I have family members that are, are they're, 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 they're the crazy cousins that we loved so very much, the Benton family. Barry, cousin Barry, was the oldest. Cousin Johnny was my brother's age. Cousin Rich was my sister's age. Cousin Donnie was a little bit older than me, and cousin, cousin Susie was a little bit younger than me. Five children in this family. And Saturday nights, we'd go out to Porterville, and we'd spend it with them. We'd look at slides. We'd laugh. By sundown, we would play Rook. This family was well acquainted with tragedy. When Susie was 15 months old, she was playing developing normally, and she got herself wrapped in a vacuum cleaner cord that was still plugged in. She was wet, and her, she electrocuted herself, and her brain forever stayed at 15 months. Now, my, my Uncle Bob used to pick her up, and I always remember Uncle Bob carrying Susie around, and from the time she was a little girl, he would just carry her in his arms, and Uncle Bob always... Had a smile. He was just a goofy, goofy guy. He successfully ran off one of my girlfriends. <laughs> she looked at this family and said, no, thank you. <laughs> but then Susie developed into a woman. And Uncle Bob would still pick her up, full growing and all, and carry her in his arms. And one of the things that we would do on Saturday night was try to make Susie laugh. And so we'd always start with the youngest, which was usually me or one of the other cousins, and I would jump up and down, try to act all goofy, and Susie would look at me, maybe smile, 
But Uncle Bob always won. He knew his daughter, and he knew how to get Susie laughing. And in her own way, she, joined, she was a part of our family. I never remember family without Susie. 15 months old, full-grown woman with a 15-month-old mind. But that family left. Cousin Johnny, on the other hand, when he was about 12 years old, we all started noticing that he was starting to slump over. Well, pretty soon, we would see him get off the floor like this, and then he'd start walking like this. He developed Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And now when that happens, most of the time people with Duchenne's will have some mental slowing, but not Johnny. Johnny was very intelligent, and he was, he was a very special guy. And he knew how to make everybody laugh, and he was always into something. I, I never knew a guy who could get more involved. So he was at La Sierra taking college classes, I think in accounting or finance. And, and one Sunday, he asked his roommate, hey, what are you doing today? And his roommate said, you know, I got to study, so I'm going to be in the room. He's like, great. If anybody calls, tell them that I'm the lead reporter for the La Sierra School paper. He's like, oh, okay, sure. So Johnny forged a press pass and went down to the Fontana Motor Speedway where NASCAR was racing, forged this press pass and went to security, showed him this pass, and they're like, um, we got to verify this. So sure enough, security calls his roommate. <laughs> Who's this Johnny Benton? Oh, well, he's our lead reporter for our school paper. And he's going down. He, he covers the sports sections on Sunday, and so he, we send him off on assignment. The next day, in multiple Southern California papers, there was Jeff Gordon and Johnny Benton, Dale R. Hart Jr. and Johnny Benton. <laughs> Laugh. Laugh. Spend time laughing. As Lonnie will attest, laughing is good for your soul. It reduces your blood pressure. It allows good hormones to be released that counteract cortisol. Laugh. What do you think the second L is? Love. And I had a hard time with this one because I wanted to use forgiveness. But love and forgiveness are so intertwined, are they not? At the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You know, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the General Conference to Rwanda. And I was in the capital city of Kigali. And they put me in the heart of the city because I was a physician and they were trying to draw lawyers and other doctors to this meeting. Now, this was the event that over 100,000 people were baptized, not on my site, but collectively throughout the entire nation of Rwanda, there was over 100,000 baptisms. So my site where they put me was right in the heart of downtown and right to my left was a bar. And this bar you know, it was erupting when I would get up and start preaching. And Africans, they loved to sing, which was great because that would counteract. Well, one night, probably about the second or third night, this man came out. And he was drunk. And he was my age. And he sat there like this. 
listening. And pretty soon he pointed at me and he started yelling and pulled out a knife and started walking toward me. He was my age. Didn't know what was going on in his heart. Three elders jumped up and grabbed him and they made him sit. This happened three nights. The fourth night, he got his, some of his buddies and they brought a table out with beer on it and they were all drinking their beer and listening. <laughs> By the second week, there was about five beer tables out and they were all listening. <laughs> the power of God. These men went through something that I will never experience. You remember in, in Rwanda in 1994, what happened? The Tutsis and the Hutus went into a genocide. The president was coming in to land at the Kigali airport, and a surface-to-air missile went up, shot the plane, and on the radio, the call went out, chopped down the tall trees. The Tutsis were typically tall people. They were the educated class, whereas the Hutus were the workers. Young men, teenagers, grabbed machetes, guns, and a genocide occurred in a nation of about 7 million where approximately 1 million people were killed. One of the stories that I heard, I heard from Pastor Finley when he was there, and I heard lots of stories, but this one is so powerful. Some of the churches opened up to seek refuge, and one such church was an Adventist church. And the pastor and his wife were in the front. The congregation was filled when about 50 young men came and filled the churches with machetes. They were singing songs to God as these young men went through silencing voices, killing the entire church, coming up to the pastor. The pastor continued to sing songs with his wife. When a young man reached for the pastor, took his machete, came across this part of his skull, and he fell dead instantly. He then took his machete and cut the hand of his wife, nearly severing her hand, hitting her across the breast and the chest area. She fell, bleeding, left for dead. Two days later, when rescuers came, they found her alive under a pile of bodies. They took her to the hospital, and in three months, she rehabbed and healed. She lost her husband. She lost her children. She lost her parents. She lost everything in this life. And as she was in the hospital, she was seething with anger. Just seething with anger. When this text came to her mind, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And the Holy Spirit began working on her heart. And she got to the point just before she was discharged where she said, I can either hold this bitterness my whole life or I can forgive them and help them. And that's what she decided to do. She became known as the angel of mercy to the jails. She went, the jails are in, in Rwanda are not like jails here. She would take the young men socks, shirts, food, feed them. They all started calling her mom. 
Well, one day this young man came up to her, fell at her feet, said, I am the one who killed your husband. I am the one who maimed you. Please forgive me. She did. She appealed for his release from prison, took him home, adopted him as her son. And he is now a pastor preaching the gospel. So for Edmund family, laugh, love. The third one is learn. Never stop learning. And if you guys can put up the text, Isaiah 41, 13. This was at our orientation. Pastor or uh, Professor uh, Ms. Kalav shared this text with us. For I, the Lord your God, hold, will, hold your right hand and say, let's, do you guys, can you guys put that up in the uh, New Revised Standard by any chance? So the New King James? You can't? Okay, I'm going to read it from the New Revised. This is the New King James, but the New Revised Version, I like the way it translates it. It says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, do not fear, I will help you. Now the Hebrew catches this meaning that sometimes is lost in the English. Some versions say, I am. Well, that's a sermon in itself. What did Jesus say? What did, the, what did God say to Moses? I am who I am. Then when Jesus came, they said, well, who are you? And he said, I am. And they were picking up stones ready to kill him. Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and life. He is. And this text is so beautiful because it says, I am for I, the Lord your God. In Hebrew, it is Yahweh Elohim. Elohim is this all-powerful, almighty God who speaks in worlds form, who speaks and oceans are calm. This Elohim God, mighty to save. Yahweh is a personal God, a God who comes down to us, we sinners, and saves us where we are. I am a powerful but yet personal God. Hold your right hand. Now when you hold somebody's hand, this is intimacy, is it not? Still one of my favorite things in this life is when I go on a walk and Allie or Lizzie or Jackson will come up and put their hand in mine and I walk with them. When you hold somebody's hands, there's security there. There's comfort there. When you look at this in the Hebrew, it's in the past tense. So this means that God said, I hold your hand. At some point in our past, God came and grabbed our hand. We have that security, that he holds our hands. And then the next part, he says, it is I who say to you, do not fear. What tense is that? That's present tense. He's holding our hands. He looks at us and says, right now, do not be afraid. Why? Because the last part's in future tense. I will help you. So we have God in Isaiah as our past, our present, and our future.
memorize these texts. These texts that you know that God is with us. He will always be with us. That's three. The last one is let in. Now, there's a story in Matthew. It's recorded in three Gospels. But the story in Matthew, the account in Matthew, is probably the most well-known. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, I'm just going to read it. We're not going to spend much time on it. But it's Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And you guys will recognize this as, as soon as I start reading. This is after Jesus had fed the 5,000. Remember the boy with the five loaves and two fishes? And Jesus kept reaching in and pulling, pulling out. And there's 12 baskets left over. The Bible says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walk on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? You know, I don't see that as Jesus admonishing Peter. I see that much like Jesus, or we would talk to our child learning to ride a bike. The smiles on your face, learning that you're seeing this child learn to ride a bike. And I imagine Jesus smiling, thinking Peter's learning to trust me completely. And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, that's the story we all know. There's been many books written on this. Now, Mark records it slightly differently. It's found in Mark 6, 45 through 52. And I'm just going to read it again. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up to the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw his disciples straining on the oars. Now, remember, there was another time when the disciples were in big trouble, and Jesus was in the back of the boat. This story is after that happening. So the disciples know that, okay, we got this. We got this. Because the wind was against them, shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walk on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walk on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed in the boat with them. The wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the lows, and their hearts were hardened. Now Mark leaves something out. What was it? Peter walking on water. Who, who was, so this was John Mark, and John Mark was recording the gospel as related to him through Peter. So some people said this is Peter's gospel. 
Peter left out this own story about him walking on water. Hmm. You can think on that and come to your own conclusions. Why would he leave that out? Well, Matthew was in the boat. Oh, man, that was so awesome. Peter walking on water. I'm putting that in my, in my letter. <laughs> you can almost see it. And Peter's like, oh, my goodness, you know, that was a complete failure. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave that out. <laughs> but it's the John's recording of this that we're going to spend the last few moments. It's recorded in John 6, 16 through 21. And this is amazing. John's gospel is all about Christ. He has such a rich Christology in his writing. When evening came, his disciples went to the lake. When they got into the boat and set off on the lake for Capernaum, by now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. All three gospels have that. It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Right? Not willing to take a ghost in the boat. <laughs> but when they realized it was Jesus, they were willing to take him in the boat. And immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Interesting. Interesting perspective. Three different people perspective. We're all in a boat right now. We are all in troubled waters. And the waters are getting rougher. What was the difference? Jesus in the boat. John, when John records this, he says immediately, this Greek word is Euthios, and you can translate it as straight, straight away or forthwith. For John, when Jesus got in the boat, that's all that mattered. So the fourth L, let him into your boat. I don't know what you're struggling with. COVID has made an incredible year for all of us. I'm sure every one of us have experienced loss of a loved one. It's hit our world terribly hard. It's caused financial strain. We worry about oncoming financial strain. We don't know what our future holds. We're uncertain. But if Jesus is in your boat, we will get to the shore. So the four L's, laugh. Love, learn, and let him in. Let us pray. Our dear, kind, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we want you as the captain of our boat. It doesn't matter what the oceans are doing around us, whatever trials may be upon us, please be with us, walk with us, Lord, when you are with us, then we too can be a sermon in shoes and love others, forgiving them. Help us to see the things in this life that bring such joy to us. And Lord, please help us to put your word in our heart so that we might not sin against you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.